Creator Pod listeners, we have a very special episode for you tonight. Uh, this is really exciting for me. I actually just played uh, one of the worship songs uh, from the Rend Collective this weekend. So we have uh, somebody uh, who founded the Rend Collective. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness, I will follow you, my lighthouse, my lighthouse, I will trust the promise, you will carry me safe to shore. Uh, Jason Pope, tell us, what what is Rend, the, the whole worship thing? It's not a worship band, it's a group of people. Yeah. Tell us about Rend Collective. Yeah. I mean, I actually wrote a song with Phil Lager one time, so I think that qualifies me as a worship leader in some sense. Oh, um, oh I just checked my notes. It's Rain Collective, not Rend Collective. That's a, So you don't sing the My Lighthouse song. Um, actually, I don't even know if I've ever, I've ever uh, asked you this. What instruments do you play, Jason Pope? Play is a, is a very tricky word, uh, but uh, I, you know, I've messed around with a trombone. Um, nothing the ring collective would accept probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm actually just not a musician. Uh, it's just not in me. All right. So, so lame dad joke, uh, introduction out of the way. <laughs> um, nice. tell us, uh, tell us what the rain collective is. Yeah. So the rain collective, um, well, I'll, I'll start with the name. Uh, it's, um, it, it's based on an Arabic word, um, Baraka, which is, um, it can mean rain, uh, but also can mean the essence of life, uh, or it could mean blessing. Um, and so we you're going to have to give us the, you're going to have to give us the spelling of that word for the show notes, by the way. I can give it to you in English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> R-A-I-N. Um, yeah, so, so we, we were looking, um, at tackling an issue, uh, and when I say we, it's a it's a a group of different organizations um, that came together and saw there was a huge gap uh, in people that were working against human trafficking in the Middle East and North Africa. That uh, there were often it was re- Middle East North Africa you would refer to like oh yeah there's trafficking taking place there. Um, but it's almost like but that's that's otherworldly. Why you know why why touch that? Why think about that? It's outside of our realm. Um, and, uh, so this, this group of people came together and, um, we, uh, it's been about two and a half years and we were talking about like what our approach would be. Um, and so as we, as we reflected on it, we really wanted to come out of a place of blessing, um, versus a place of, uh, accusation and, uh, criticism. Um, there certainly, plenty to be criticized in this space um, and, and lots of things that are wrong. Um, but we wanted to focus on uh, how you transform those situations. And the transformation comes not from the criticism, uh, but from the true essence of, of blessing. Uh, so that and that's kind of where the name came from. And can you talk about that a little bit more? Like, is, is it that, you know, when you are criticizing traffickers or trafficking as a system some of that criticism then reflects on the victims of trafficking is is that why some of that hesitancy was there or you were just trying to uh 
speak life into uh, a dark place? Yeah, some of it's strategy. Uh, some some of it is that um, there there are policies, large large uh, policies that cut across the whole region um, that make people more vulnerable. When we're talking about government policies that make people more vulnerable um, to experiencing exploitation. Um, and there are a lot of voices out there that are criticizing those policies, and um, it, you know, at times they um, may may end up uh, in, in a place where they're not able to work directly in some of those contexts because of uh, closed doors that take place. So in, in, in one sense, there were already voices doing that. And uh, we, we didn't necessarily, um, it wasn't that we disagreed with what they were saying. They, they, you know, they were saying important things, um, but there wasn't a need for us to say them again. And also um we we kind of have a model that that does direct service um, as as well as advocacy as well as research and so um, we wanted to not hurt the opportunities that we would have to work hand in hand with uh, with people um, by being only focused on the criticism aspect. Got it. And so in terms of what you, you actually do, you, you just sort of named three areas. So what, what has Rain Collective accomplished uh, so far in that two and a half years? Well, the first um, year and a half uh, was, uh, I was I was working at the Salvation Army. And um, so during that time, we just coordinated together and would help to send people home. Uh, so... so uh, people will migrate to some parts of the Middle East, especially the Gulf um, countries, and uh, they will be there for construction work or they'll be there for domestic work um, and during that time experience exploitation and reach out to their embassies, uh, try to find a pathway home. Um, often it does require nonprofit uh, engagement to help support some of the costs for that, to help uh, if, if you've gone through exploitation, there, there's a lot that goes into aftercare for that. So, so counseling or vocational training or medical assessments or legal assessments, um, all these things are needs. So to help coordinate a lot of those things. So at the beginning stages, we were just coordinating um, as cases came up within our organizations. Um, about a year ago is when we started to transition more into an organization. Um Currently, we are an organization in the state of Connecticut um, waiting on our federal tax exempt status to be approved, but it's filed. Um, and we are we have an organization called Rescue Freedom International that has um, served as a financial fiduciary and allowed us to operate underneath uh, Rescue Freedom. So they, they receive donations on uh, our behalf, tax exempt donations, and um, 100% of those uh, donations come to uh, the Rain Collective for us to operate our mission uh, in the Middle East. Um, so with that turn, we've been more concentrated. Um, last year, we did a, uh, a project to support um, women that had experienced exploitation in Oman. Uh, we learned that there were 300 women there, at least, uh, that had experienced exploitation that were from Sierra Leone. Um, didn't have um, some of them didn't have ways out of the homes that they were in where they were still in in these situations that they needed to to find a safe space out 
Um, some of, most of them did not have funds for plane tickets back home, um, COVID tests, uh, some, some funding for when they landed and how they would actually have a livelihood back in their home country. Um, uh, families, their, their relationships with their families uh, had been damaged uh, through this process. So sometimes they didn't have social support when they made it back to Sierra Leone. Um, so we engaged in that process and uh, supported 73 women um, starting in about May of last year and, and then ended up through uh, that's October or November, we, we finished up that, that campaign uh, with, with all the things I just talked about, you know, not all of them got all of those things, but like uh, uh, some of them got some things, some of them got multiple things, just depending on what they needed and, and what other resources were available for each case. So I, I want to ask you about, you know, how you're there in Connecticut and you're helping women in Oman to, to get out of this exploitation. But, but at first, I think I want to start with sort of a larger question. How, how did you develop this kind of global viewpoint? I mean, you, you talk very fluently about, you know, uh, problems of women from Sierra Leone in um, Oman. I, I couldn't find Oman on a map without benefit of, of Google Maps or something like that. So... <laughs> Um, so h- how did you sort of develop this global viewpoint and the, 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 the intelligence, the wisdom, the, the knowledge to be able to, um, you know, to, to do this work? Do you, do you play Wordle? I do. <laughs> you knew that was going to come up. That had to come up in this. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a version called Global, uh, G-L-O-B-L-E, and it... Um, you pick a country. There's a mystery country every day. Anyway, that that's a good geography tool. That's a little there inside. We go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I, it, this is a question I get quite a bit in terms of like, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Um, and it's, I mean, it's a bit of a Forrest Gump story. Uh, and I one one foot after another, really. Um, God led the pathway. And I just um, kept following it. I, I know that sounds so cliche, uh, but if I, I mean, literally, that's a long story. And and I just started by service, you know, like I, I was working in a local community uh, with the Salvation Army in a, in a um, an area in Atlanta um, when I came out of college, and then um, uh, <laughs> I, I got it opportunities to to work on international partnerships uh with uganda um i got invited to go on an anti-human trafficking uh trip to china by the salvation army world service office that was in about 2007 2008 um and then eventually i i made my way and, and started working for the salvation army in 2013 or the, the salvation army world service office in 2013 and uh really traveled extensively uh for about eight years right up until covid you know stopped everything um and so my my passport is uh really just full of stamps uh from that time period and um in addition to that i was i've uh, been you know uh a lifelong learner and uh um i i've studied uh, public policy and, and studied theology. And now I'm working on a PhD in international family and community studies. So there's also an element of kind of more formal education when it comes to uh, 
learning about the world. And so I've, I've taken a deep dive both in terms of uh, academics as, as well as just practical uh, experience. So I do a lot of cultural interpretation on this podcast when salvationists come on the on the podcast and they will, you know, <laughs> use lingo. Uh, they'll talk about uh, some Salvation Army event and use the, the Salvation Army specific terms. But I would say when it comes to the Salvation Army World Service Office, uh, known internally as SOSO, you know, by the abbreviation, I, I think there probably yes. are a lot of, of salvationists who don't even really know what the mission of the World Service Office is. So, uh, so give us a, a little bit of uh, you know, the skinny on, on what you were doing there and, and what, what that yeah. arm of the Salvation Army exists to accomplish. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'd say like, um, you know, having spent quite a bit of time working in the States with the Salvation Army, that their focus is uh, much more on outcomes in their program. So they, they want to see outcomes in people's lives. And Sasso's focus would take one step further in terms of impact. That's a really, I, I'm generalizing, I get that. And people say, well, that's not us or whatever. But I, I, I'd say like there's a, you know, Sasso's way of organizing their programs and projects um, at the end of their log frames, at the end of their plans uh, are, are community changes on, on really deep levels. And sometimes they're able to take, um, you know, steps that, that I think maybe uh, would be too risky uh, uh, for, for the Salvation Army in the United States. Sorry if that's too transparent. I, I just feel like that's probably probably true. Like there's there's more rights-based uh, work that SOSO is is doing. Um, I I believe it's a it's a good thing. I, I, I'm not sure how well that could be translated in the in the states in terms of community development, but um, they are a community development, international development organization that um, is part of the Salvation Army's mission and uh, integrates the Salvation Army's mission into their work. Um, for me, I was doing work on um, two things when I first started there, uh, livelihoods, uh, which is basically like job creation um, or financial support um, for, for individuals and families, and then also anti-human trafficking um, and I and I did both of those for about four years, and then just switched purely to anti-human trafficking for the last last four years. And how long did it take you to get that lingo down? For for years, as I have uh, talked with people about the human trafficking dilemma and the way the Salvation Army, um, you know, approaches it and and tries to tries to work against it, uh, we always get into this thing where it's like you have to put the anti in front of trafficking. You can't say the Salvation Army <laughs> is in human trafficking. That's that's not a good thing. It's frowned upon. That's right. Um, it's highly discouraged. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, um, every day I'm working on every day I'm working on lingo. I, I don't I don't know that you ever really get it down um, because uh, words mean a ton, and uh, the more that you the more you study what you say, the the more you realize you're not really communicating everything you wish you were. Um, and so I, I there there are a lot of um, a lot of things that I, that I try to work through still. Um, so there, there was no ever, uh, and there was never a point where I was just like, okay, I've got it now I can speak it. So, well, and I think yeah. trafficking is so complicated that there isn't a single word that is kind of the antonym to trafficking. 
right? Because the opposites of trafficking are things like freedom and and justice um, and redemption and reconciliation and and there's so many things that are um, that fall into the category of an opposite of trafficking. But there isn't just one thing that is the opposite of trafficking. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, it's very fair to say. Yeah, we. Um, I was I was brainstorming with a group um, this past week, and we were looking for for some statement of, of an objective, and we wanted to be positive, but we ended up having to go with a we don't want we don't want trafficking. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, right. that's a shorthand because uh, anything that you said positive is so general. Because there's no direct, there is no direct uh, antonym. Yeah, right. I think I think one of the questions that that I think people often have in their minds when they think about the work organizations like yours and the Salvation Army is engaged in is, and you hit on it a little bit, talking about impact, measuring impact. Uh, one of the things that I noticed when going through your material was how how some people might say, you know, where's the impact when they don't see numbers? But how would you define impact when you can narrow it down to a specific community, a specific group, and really work toward changing their lives? Yeah, no, it's a, um, it's a great question. I, I think numbers in this situation are even less relevant um, in terms of being able to tell impact because, um, they matter. Uh, it's not that they don't matter, but often programs may be judged on how many people did you help for how many dollars? Um, and like, what about how deep is the pain of the person that you helped? How, right. how much trauma has this person been through and how much healing are they experiencing? Um, one person experiencing great healing is still a pretty great impact. Um, the other thing with the Middle East and North Africa is data is not easy to come by when it comes to prevalence. Right. Um, and when, you, when it comes to how many people are actually experiencing exploitation, um, many, many of the, the government policies are not wide open to data collection for survivors in their country. Uh, um, not it's not, it doesn't make them look very good. If, if you walk in and say, well, we just found that your country has, you know, exactly X number and we used uh, empirical methods to do so. Um, so you're, you're, you're probably not going to get approval uh, to do that. So it's really hard to measure impact by that sense. Mm -hmm. um, we're measuring impact. I think one, one of the, one of the questions you get as you start a new organization is, you know, define the problem. Um, and thing is, it's not one problem. Like, like the, the the problems are different in Egypt, where you have um, girls uh, who have experienced sex exploitation. Someone has taken advantage of them, and now their families have disowned them. Mm -hmm. uh, if they if they were to come back in their community, they could be murdered um, uh, or face very extreme physical violence. Um, that happens sometimes from uh, men coming into the country uh, from another country and then temporarily marrying them so that it's legal so that they can have sex with them and then leaving them, basically destroying their lives. Um, that's a different problem than uh, women who from Uganda um, 
in very poor communities uh, decide to go with an agent that's recruited them for a job in Kuwait and um, they go there expecting to make you know X X dollars or X amount of money that they're gonna send back home and uh, and then they get there and they work 12 hour days seven days a week are beat up uh, aren't paid um, are uh, insulted on a daily basis um, it's a different problem it's still the same region it still can be categorized as human trafficking um, the impacts different there um, but there are there are overlaps um, you know there there are vulnerabilities or causes within the home communities that sometimes um, sometimes it's poverty sometimes it's uh, it's the role that um, girls or women are allowed to play um, in, in that culture uh, that, that make them vulnerable to these types of things. Um, so there are things that we can address that have commonalities, um, but the problems are quite different. And so we measure our impact um, at this stage. And I'll say that maybe a bigger problem for this region is that there is a lack of org- organizations addressing these issues mm-hmm. Um, so at this stage, it's also an impact for us if we become a catalyst for another organization taking actions that they wouldn't have taken had we not engaged them. Um, so I have, uh, we, most of our projects, um, have multiple partners, uh, working on as part of the way that we work is we try to dream up something together with other organizations, not just two, but two or three different organizations. And, um, one of them was, it's been in Egypt, uh, that we're, we're about to kick off and work on this year. Um, I found out that there is a, uh, a Christian professor, um, in Greece, uh, working at a Bible college whose husband's a Coptic Christian from Egypt and the Christian professor in Greece runs the anti-trafficking organization. And uh, she wrote me back and said, hey, we're often back and forth between Egypt and Greece. I've never heard of any anti-trafficking work going on in, in Egypt. Um, can, you, can you please keep me included? Um, and so like, we're, we're thinking like, yeah, our impact is the fact that if we're able to create this resource room and create new resources for, um, so we're, this, this project is building a, a resource room at an anti-trafficking shelter that helps care for girls and women who have experienced exploitation. And we'll be training the staff um, in some of the aftercare and, and some of the counseling uh, techniques that are used in other shelters that we work with. Um, that's an impact. Right. But in addition to that, if this, you know, what's, what's a fairly small project, uh, also brings a professor that has a theological background and has uh, a presence in Egypt on a consistent basis to do more work in that region because we've now like connected her into what we were doing and she's able to take it further, then that's also an impact that we're making. So we're trying to be a catalyst for um, bringing new people into spaces or helping to create uh, more work even right. outside of ourselves. And, and I'm glad you defined that because um, as a person who travels a lot, you've you've gone to so many different places. Um, one of the worst places I've ever been is Facebook. Uh, ten out of ten would not recommend. Uh, don't go if you don't if you don't need to. 
Um, <laughs> but when when I see a lot of the arguments on there, there's a language difference, uh, a difference in understanding of definitions, because even even a fact and definition has become subject to opinion. So when people think of impact, I think it's important to recognize that everything that's measurable isn't quantifiable. So like you can you can feel impact, you can see impact, even if there's not a number to associate with it. And I think that it's just important for people to hear that the work you're doing is impactful um, and the numbers don't tell the story the people do. Uh, that's I love that. Absolutely. And. Feel free to use um, it. The first one is free. We charge after that. This is being recorded, right? (laughs) Absolutely. As a reference, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and I, I think it's important for us to learn how to measure um, what we're doing, even if it's not numbers, right? Um, And so that's um, that's something that we're looking into. But we, there are lots of different ways uh, that 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 people have gone about, um, measurement of impact. And, uh, I, I'm, I don't know what it's going to turn, turn out for us to be, but I have a sense it's probably not going to be statistics, uh, as, as we know them. Right. So coming back to the 73 women in Oman that you were able to help, um, did you, I I'm assuming that you did not go kick down doors in some building in Oman. So what is it that you did from Connecticut to be able to facilitate this, this change in their lives. So, so we partnered with an organization called do bold, um, that we're doing interviews, um, with these women to, uh, uh, they basically were using a tool, um, from international office of migration that walks you through identifying if someone has, um, experience human trafficking if, if that if that has been something that's happened um and so uh we we uh worked with them uh financially we had a, a financial agreement with them as well as um communicating on a consistent basis we also connected them over to a group called world hope international um which they had not met before that had a shelter in sierra leone um and I've worked with World Hope uh, quite a bit and know that they do really, really good work uh, in terms of uh, all the things we mentioned before, medical care, legal assistance, counseling, family, um, uh, family mediation, um, repay, like helping out with finances when, when people first land. Um, so we, we brought uh, the, the beginning and the end of that journey uh, together in conversation um, then we help support um, jointly do bold and uh, and rain collective um, did a peer fundraising campaign to help raise some resources um, we were looking for uh, a thirty thousand dollars that we wanted to raise and we raised uh, twenty nine thousand two hundred dollars <laughs> that killed me really just to be honest like I, I like to cross off the box um, but it it actually generated awareness and then a community foundation gave additional $3,000 and another nonprofit organization gave $20,000. So while we set our goal at 30,000 and we came up short, we ended up with over $50,000 that were given towards the campaign. Um, we, we then helped process the plane tickets, uh, 
with the travel agent. So there's a travel agent that we had in the region that we connected with to purchase plane tickets. Um, and also some of the support packages, uh, we, we, um, arranged those and, and then connected them, uh, set them up so that they could be received in country. Once the, uh, once the individuals made it back to Sierra Leone, they could check in and get some of the support. Um, so those were, those are some of the things for, for that piece. Um, but I actually think it's going to be like, like we do different things almost in every project, just depending on what the gap is. Sure. No. And, and I wasn't asking for sort of what's your one, you know, uh, one size fits all solution. I was just trying to get into, you know, what the solution was in, in that particular case. Um, well, and I, I think that you say, um, you know, you don't go and, and kick down doors and, um, it's, it's, a you know, we all have that image. Uh, and there are some organizations that even put that image out there, uh, about themselves. Um, in, in this case, it's more about finding an advocate for someone who's, uh, in a situation in Oman. Um, so there, there are currently, uh, over 50 cases that of exploitation that, that are still existing um, in Oman, uh, some from Uganda, some from Liberia, and some from Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently had, uh, I want to get the numbers wrong, but it was over, it was over 10 cases from Liberia. Um, we hadn't had any cases from Liberia before, so th- these had just popped up. Uh, we reached out to a contact, that we knew worked on some of this, they connected with a person that is in Oman who then shows up at the house and um, starts working directly with the person and between that person and the embassy to get them permission to be able to travel. Uh, and you can't just leave a house. Like you have to show proof that, that there's been some damage um, that's occurred for you to be able to get a pass to, to leave the house. So, it's um, metaphorically kicking the door down, but in, in reality, it's like okay, th- this is the this is the service you have to do on the ground in order to free them up to be able to to get out of the situation. Right, right. Um, it, we've talked a lot about the organization and the work, um, but we are you know kind of fascinated with the people who do a variety of different you know creative ventures. Um, so, so getting down to the Jason Pope of it all, uh, as, as a white male, are you an outlier in anti-trafficking work? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah, mostly, I mean, they're, they're, I'm not the, I'm not the, the only outlier, but I think we're, uh, uh, you know, uh, fewer in number. Um, and, uh, that's um, Kirsten Foote, I think is her name, uh, wrote a really interesting book looking at diversity and, and um, anti-human trafficking practitioners um, and uh, really, really trying to push for more diversity, but also more inclusion of men um, in addressing human trafficking. And I, I mean, over and over, I've been asked the question like, well, how do we get, how do we get more men engaged? Um, and I could rattle off you know, uh, a handful of men that are, are engaged There's a guy named, uh, Glenn Miles, a guy named Mark Cadell. Um, John Cotton Richmond was a, 
just just previously U.S. ambassador for for uh, human trafficking at large, anti-human trafficking at large at the uh, U.S. State Department. Um, uh, Verlin Rosales, uh, project officer in in um, the Philippines for the Salvation Army. Um, Johan Jadhav in in India. Um, so it's not like uh, there there aren't men engaged. Um, they they are there, and I think they're doing. Uh, really good work. Um, and I've not, I, you know, I don't have an answer for how to get men engaged. Uh, I think God has to do that in some ways. And I don't want to, I don't want to cut myself out of trying to figure out how to get more men engaged. Cause I'm certainly open to it. I just don't have an answer for it. Well, I, don't, if, I don't know if why. We, yeah. If we can't solve the, the, the how, uh, why is it important for men to be involved in this work? Um, I think, I think it's important, um, part, partly because men are a big part of the problem. Um, and, uh, you know, for, if men aren't willing to take responsibility for problem that men are creating, then maybe they're adding to the problem. Um, so I think in some sense, um, we need men to take responsibility for what, what we've done. Yeah. And we are all, uh, fathers of daughters. Um, how does being a father of daughters, uh, influence, you know, your work in this area? Um, breaks, it just breaks my heart. I mean, literally, you know, when Sydney was born, our oldest, um, my heart changed completely. And it, it was, uh, just crazy. Like, I, I mean, I, w- I would just be walking along and start crying and I was like, what is going on? And it was like two, a week or two after she was born, just something like just switched in my heart. And, um, every, every one of my daughters being born is like, uh, just made me a deeper person. So, um, you know, we, I, working with the Salvation Army, we addressed online sexual exploitation in the Philippines, um, where parents, uh, were accepting funds from, um, individuals outside of the Philippines to bring their children into live chat rooms and do whatever that person wanted them to do. Mm. And I'm just going to be honest. I could, I, I couldn't, I couldn't take that in. And a lot of that had to do with my own children. Um, my daughter came to me one night and said she was she was crying and she's just like, I, I don't, um, I don't want to end up in, I don't want to end up lost in an orphanage. Um, hmm. and I was like, I must be talking about work at home way right. too much. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like really struck by it. And she, I was like, where's that coming from? She's like, uh, Paddington. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that helps a little bit. <laughs> helps a little bit. Okay. But, but honestly, I, I certainly, um, um, it's a heavy work. So like you really have to balance, um, self-care and having fun and not dwelling on things too much, um, outside of work. Um, and so like, I, I have to just be super careful with how much I internalize with, with some of that. Yeah. Uh, Darrell, uh, has also, uh, cried a lot more since their second daughter was born, but I, I think it's different from what happened with you and Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paddington Bear mishaps. 
but but how do you deal with uh, with that trauma? I mean, you know how how are you able to um, put it to the side? You know, all of us have have been in in ministry roles where you know it can be hard to not take it home with you or, or whatever, or, um, you know, you're working out of a home office, so it's kind of always there. How, how do you, um, uh, how are you able to compartmentalize it? And, and, uh, how are you able to sort of deal with your, your own emotional, mental, spiritual health when you're spending so much time around this kind of darkness, this kind of unspeakable darkness? Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's a great question and I think um if you asked me that question about 3 years ago, I would have said, well, it really helps that I I am in Connecticut or I am in DC at the time that that I have this big geographic gap between the work and myself and I do a lot of administrative stuff. I like write a lot of reports and, you know, okay, so it probably isn't touching me and and frankly that um that's not the way to deal with it uh, because <laughs> then you realize, oh, no, actually this stuff is touching me even even at this level. And it's touching the whole network that I'm that I'm working with. Um, uh, so so the first is just to be conscious of, you know, no matter how close geographically or, or, or you know, um, how how much time you actually spend directly with survivors that being a part of the network is 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 going to play uh, an influence on your emotions and and knowing that is a healthy thing. Um, I I'm at my best when I'm exercising um, frequently and dieting well and um, and I I then use my exercise to to get outside and being. Moving to Connecticut this past year has allowed me to do a lot more hiking in absolutely gorgeous places. Um, I did a I did a snowshoeing event in Vermont uh, a few weeks ago. It uh, was amazing, um, and so like I I love to cycle. It's it's just getting out. I think it's really just getting outside and doing uh, long exercises outside has has really been one one good way for me. Yeah. And as a, a founder, you told me uh, a little while back that you like um, geek out on writing operating procedures and manuals that other people, you know, might find boring. In fact, you just had the same look on your face when you talked about snowshoeing in Vermont that you did <laughs> as when you were talking yeah. about doing this paperwork and writing these reports. So t- tell us a little bit about that. Um you know, because I, I know for me, I'm I hate the administrative stuff. So tell us how that administrative stuff sort of makes your heart sing, because I think it's unique about you. Yeah, I um, I don't know if it's like I don't know if it's like my um, my my strongest uh, sense of operation, because I, I definitely the collaborative piece is 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 one part of what I love to do. I, I just love meeting new people and thinking about new opportunities and, and what types of um, new ideas might come out of something. And I feel like it's a completely different side of my brain um, and, and they compete with each other. And so I almost have to like set aside time. Like if I can, if I can set aside blocks of time and just sit down and write and then get really deep into what I'm doing, that's when I really enjoy that side of, uh, of writing. Um, it's uh you know, in terms of um, creating a new organization, 
this is a new challenge that I, you know, I, I'm really thankful for. Um, it's, it's, it's a, uh, I'm stretching. I'm, I'm definitely stretching some of the skills that, that, uh, I came into the role with because, uh, you know, these are things I haven't done before. Um, like branding and, um, thinking about, you know, what's your theory of change? Uh, what's your, your value that you're bringing to this space? Um, all of these things with an organization like Salvation Army has such a strong brand and, and such a, a large presence around the world are already known. It's, it's like, you, you don't even have to think about it. It's just there. Um, so to kind of like create your own, uh, it's, I'm just to be honest, like it's both fun, uh, but also like scary. Um, it's, it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm reassured by reading books um, about founders that actually I'm in the right space because everybody's feelings everybody feels the feelings that I feel about it, which right. is like absolutely motivated by it. But at the same time, it's like nothing is certain in this. You know, like like you're you're creating something new. E- equal parts overwhelmed and motivated, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just want to clean something up. I, I asked the question about you being a white male as an outlier in, in anti-trafficking, and I don't mean to make a conversation about you know trafficking that impacts so many women, and that by and large is an issue that's tackled by women. I didn't want to make it about men. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that we that we honor the fact that women have been you know, trying to combat this for pretty much as long as, as trafficking has been around. And really they are the ones who oftentimes are on the forefront, um, and, and have been in this battle for, um, for, for far longer and, and have the experience and have those networks and, and those connections. Um, 100%. And I, I don't, I didn't feel like you did. And I hope I, I didn't make it out that way either. I would say I'm usually hearing, from those women that you're speaking of saying we wish men were more engaged. Right. And, um, they, you know, even, even if more men are engaged, um, uh, you know, I hope it's, I hope it's the men that are, that are seeing exactly what you just said, which is these women are the ones that are best positioned to lead. Right. Um, and, and we're actually going to get, get to, you know, what, people can do on this front. Uh, but why don't you tell us what you're doing in Uganda next week? Um, yeah, so I'm going to Uganda for a setup trip. Um, uh, one of the things that, uh, across the region that the United States, uh, state department puts out a report every June on every country in the world, um, and what they're doing in, in human trafficking or against human trafficking. Um, for the region, Middle East, North Africa region, oh, country by country, you can read it and find that they say they don't have good screening process. They aren't identifying uh, victims in this country. Uganda is one of the countries that, that's a country of origin travel to the Middle East, North Africa. And if you read their report, several thousand people came back last year without being screened for human trafficking. And um, so if you put those those things together, you start and say, well, there, there are probably people here that have survived you know, being trafficked and uh, haven't received support that they really need. Um, and so we're 
we are developing a um, screening tool that that could be used in a public space. It might be a nonprofit, could be a medical space, it could be the airport, um, and it's going to focus specifically. It's going to be focused on um, women who've gone to the Gulf states for domestic work, um, and that might cover both domestic servitude or, or forced labor. Domestic servitude's a, a form of that. Um, labor trafficking. Uh, it also could cover sex trafficking. So it's kind of both different sides of, uh, of human trafficking that the tool will hopefully cover. Um, and in the end, we're, um, we're planning on validating that with some quantitative measures as well as qualitative measures. Um, and um, we're also using that opportunity just to meet people and advocate for better screening process. So that's um, it's a kind of a side item is we're creating the tool, but we're using that as a talking point to be able to, to have conversations. This is Drew from the editing bay. Again, uh, just want to clear something up. I was asking some questions around the scale of human trafficking. And we spent an awful lot of time in this podcast talking about the fact that it is not about numbers and so after some uh, awkward attempts on my part to, to try to quantify the thing, uh, we finally landed at uh, the right question. So if it sounds like you're missing part of the conversation, it's because I didn't do a good job of leading the conversation. And so we just cut that portion out. Men are hard to measure because right. uh, they don't always come forward and say, you know, someone exploited me. Or, right. or, you know, there are times yeah. people think they're too tough for uh, for coming forward to say these things, or they may be afraid, right. um, to come forth and say that. So we're not even um, asking, we're not asking enough of the women. And then even if we ask men, we're not necessarily getting, you know, the, the true answer across. Well, uh, and this whole but, thing, like it, it sounds like I'm trying to badger you for numbers and I don't want to badger you for numbers. What I'm, what I'm trying to do is just give people, um, a sense of, of, how large a problem this is, how prevalent a problem this yeah. is, and and who are the who are the victims? Really, I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, and there, I mean, they're five they're five hundred thousand. They're estimated five hundred thousand people in slavery in any given year in the Middle East and North Af- in North Africa. Um, most of them that we see are are women, um, and then. Um, some some of this uh, children would be related to um, forced marriage um, taking place in in certain countries, um, so that's a smaller number than 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 women and um, and and men would be higher than children as well. I think in terms of overall for the region. Well, and I think you know sometimes people don't want to talk about this issue, don't want to think too deeply about trafficking, um, in in part because it is you know, just such a dark place, but also because when you quote a number like 500,000 people, that's like way more than 500,000 solutions. Cause as we've said, this is a complicated thing. It isn't just, yeah. Oh, we have this many people who are hungry. We need to provide this many meals. It's, you know, getting 500,000 people to a place of freedom and a place of peace and a place of justice. It, it, that is so complicated. That's so big. It, it almost, you know, defies the ability to even think about what the solution might look like. And I think sometimes that turns people off from thinking about, you know, what they can do about trafficking. So how, how can people get involved, um, you know, through your organization, through other organizations, you, you know, somebody is listening to this podcast, their, their heart goes out to people in, in trafficking situations. 
What can we do? Yeah, well, I, well, I said there's 40, um, at least 40 cases open right now from Oman, Uganda, uh, Sierra Leone. Sorry, uh, Uganda, Sierra Leone, and Liberia in Oman. And um, each of those cases, somewhere between $1,000 to $1,400, gets them back to their home country. Um, does that solve it? No, but that's a big step. That's right. a really and, important step. And that step. solves it for that one woman. That one for that, person. For that one woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, or, or that's the big step for that one person. I get what you're saying. We, we don't want to use the word solve here, but but that is a, a major um, step in the right direction for that one individual's life. Yeah. And I've been getting this question a lot. Like uh, if the problem seems overwhelming, then it leads to inactivity. Um, and, you know, I, I had this question the other day and I I was like, okay, we're all going to, this was not the smoothest comment. I was like, you know, we're, we're all going to die, but we still go to a doctor. (laughs) Let me try again. Let me try again. (laughs) And, um, you know, uh, I, I think that faith really plays a role. I, I, I really think that faith plays a role in this, um, you, you might look at the Middle East, North Africa and think like, oh, the problem is going to be harder there. Think, think, think about all this, you know, all the different obstacles that you might have to go through. But the truth is the problem is hard everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you think it's easy um, to help to help a survivor in Cleveland, Ohio, um, truly be free from the emotional bonds that, that have taken place. Um, it's not. It takes faith. You know, like, like the, the question is just like, will you apply your faith? It's, it's, uh, it, all of it's outside of our control in the end. Um, and I don't, I don't think God's asked us, you know, is the problem overwhelming? Uh, it's more about like, will you play, will you faith, place your faith in this? And yeah, sometimes it's through like one step, um, help, help this person get back to their home country. And, and that might lead to some greater, some greater things, um, there, there are organizations, World Hope International, I mentioned before, uh, they're doing really good uh, aftercare services in Sierra Leone for survivors. Used to be Willow International, just merged, now Everfree in Uganda is doing incredible work in the same way on aftercare. Um, the Salvation Army is doing some work in the Gulf states, has a shelter there that, that helps work with um, some survivors. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. And, and they they certainly uh could use your support um prayer is really important um and i think you know just you can go online and and google uh you can google uh domestic workers uh, gulf states and you will get plenty of things to pray for Hmm. um you go to our website (laughs) uh, go to our instagram page we update it you know frequently with with news stories that, that could help you stay involved. Um, so those are, I mean, those are some of the things I would, I would think about doing. And those will both be in uh, the, in the show notes for this um, as well yeah. as some of these, these other uh, organizations. Um, Darrell, did you have anything else for, for Jason before we get into the polls? You know, I just, I just think that what you're doing and what your team is doing is honorable. Um, the complications and complexities of, the task that, that, that's set before you guys may seem insurmountable 
Um, but I, I do like your approach. I do like what you're saying. And I'm a big believer in, in each person counts. And I think that that ground level boots on the ground. Let's let's address and deal with people is so important. Uh, one of the most important programs that's close to my heart in the Salvation Army is Pathway of Hope. And for me, it's because we've we've walked into a direction of these big groups for so long. And, and now we're looking at individuals. And I think that when people think of human trafficking and the groups that are anti-human trafficking, they see this big, huge problem. And bringing this back to people, I think, is so important. And from what I've read, from what I've heard, you guys are doing that. Mm. And uh, don't don't you ever let anybody tell you you're not a musician. Um <laughs> I used to think I was a guitar player, but uh, Doug Berry has introduced colors, <laughs> apparently, and uh, so so don't worry about that. Thank you, thank you so much. Let's take the pulse. Um, well, this is uh, a heavier topic than than some of the other ones we have tackled on the uh, on the Creator Pod, but we like to uh, close it out with uh, with the pulse, which is a, a set of five uh, kind of standard questions. So, uh, Jason, what are you watching right now? Um, you know, I prepared a little bit for this, uh, and uh, <laughs> I actually. The the thing I'm watching the most and uh, it probably won't be surprising is what's going on. I'm watching the news right now. Um, I'm watching. I, I can't I can't stop getting updates on Ukraine to see uh, what's going on there, and I'm praying for Ukraine um, and praying for peace. Absolutely, Darrell. Yeah, you know I, I think I'm right with you there. Um, on a lighter note, even though it's really hard to try to distract yourself from the seriousness of that situation, I've been watching a little more sports recently, and I find I find also heartbreak in the Knicks season. <laughs> so I, I really need to find something happier to watch than basketball and the situation developing in Eastern Europe. Well, I mean, you could yes. watch the Boston Celtics. You know, I mean, that if you're looking for happiness and, and hope and a story of redemption, you got the Boston Celtics right there in front of you. I, well, I do. I am a fan of Jalen Brown. And, uh, you know, my guy, Shimmy Ojale, who I don't even think is with the no, team he's anymore. No, he's not there anymore. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> forever – J- Forever in our hearts. Jalen Brown is a is a talented ball player and a way better human being. So, um, so Absolutely. yeah, I, I hear you there. Um, and it helps that he looks just like Shakai. <laughs> I uh, I just watched uh, the last duel, which is Matt Damon, mm. uh, Ben Affleck, and Adam Driver. Um, it's, it's basically goodwill hunting on horseback. Um, that's, that's an insider for anybody who's actually watched the movie. Um, no, but it's this, uh, fascinating, uh, true story. Uh, Affleck and Damon wrote the, the screenplay. Um, but it is, uh, the, the story of a duel in 14th century France, uh, told from three different characters' perspectives. Um, and it's very, very well done. Um, and I, I really, uh, it's well done. It does. It, it centers around the rape of a woman. So sort of um, pertinent to what we're talking about. Um, mm. And it's kind of, you know, whose story do you believe and and um, and what mm. the implications are there. But a very different movie from what you'd expect out of those three actors. But um, but it, it was very well done. Excellent. And I need to insert the uh, the woman's name here because I keep mentioning the male protagonist in this movie about a horrific thing that happened to a woman. So the 
actor who played the the wife of Matt Damon's character is uh, Jody Corm uh, Jody Comer. Uh, she plays Marguerite de Carouge, um, and a uh, very strong performance out of her. Um, what are you listening to? My wife said to be honest on this. Uh, I'm not listening to anything right now. <laughs> I, 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 I listen to audiobooks, um, and so with uh, reading as an option, so that that was a Twitter uh, debate was uh, is is listening to audiobooks uh, considered reading or not? Well, so I, I don't know the outcome. I don't read anything. I only listen to audiobooks. So whenever I say I'm reading something on this pod, it is almost always something. But this time around, I actually have something I I, I truly read. Um, she she said that 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 you all mean have I listened to a podcast or music and she's like you need to be honest like you you don't even know what music is so when I say I'm not a musician yeah well I have been listening to uh, Dominic Fike who is an actor on uh, the show Euphoria but he also is a, a musician um, and uh, and in the the season finale which was just last night he actually played a song, um, quite a long song. It was kind of reminiscent of like that guy in your dorm who has a guitar um, and, and decides to sing all seven verses of Obama's Salvation for you. Um, so the song went on and on, but it was quite good. Uh, he has an incredible voice, so I've been listening to Dominic Fike. How about you, Darrell? I have, keeping in with tradition, started a podcast after everyone else has already finished listening to it. Uh, I just, I'm on the, I'm on aftermath, the last episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Oh man. And, uh, and man, that is something. Yeah, it really is. Um, what are you reading? So I'm reading, uh, a, a lot of, uh, leadership, like leadership entrepreneur books right now. Founder's Dilemma, Lean Startup, uh, How to Be a, a Strong Team Player. But the thing that uh, most interested me was a book called Inside Out Coaching, um, which I've recently started coach, uh, being an assistant track indoor track coach at, at a middle school near my house. And uh, the athletic director from the, uh, from the schools sent, sent me this book. And um, I, it was, it's really fascinating, um, using Moses as a, um, and these are not Christian schools, the public school system, but using Moses as an example of one of the, um, uh, coaching leaders, uh, a way coaching styles that we should pursue in terms of, um, Exodus and, and helping, um, empower individuals that coaching, there's been too much negative uh, coaching in sports uh, that really tears people down, and it, and so it's kind of an inside out is is is, is utilizing uh, coaching to transform lives and really being um, in in the students' lives and, and helping them to uh, to grow from their experience. That's awesome. And then, like when when uh, the defense is really stout, you just lift your staff, and and the defense just parts, and then you can get in and throw down a monster uh. dunk, right? 
I'm gonna try. I absolutely, it. I absolutely thought you were gonna say and crack him over the head like a stone. <laughs> <laughs> I was this like, where's this going? And then Sally Sturmey's child protection has taught me better than that. <laughs> I just read that passage recently in my devotions. That uh, don't don't <laughs> knock the rock passage there, where Moses, you know, God tells him to speak to the rock, and he hits it with the staff instead. That's right. Uh, so the thing I actually read uh, on paper in in my hands, not audio, uh, was an article in the Atlantic. <laughs> Uh, the uh, recent cover story from Barton Gelman called January 6th was practice. Um, mm. And it is uh, sort of about what um, mm. the, the mob did on January 6th and the people who incited the mob were, were after on January 6th, but also um, how uh, they might actually go about um, reversing a legitimate election uh, through use of other more sophisticated means than what they use um, on that day uh, just over a year ago. So scary, scary article, but um, an important article wow. to read. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, a deep dive into a scary subject. Um, yeah. What are you reading, Darrell? I have been reading endless pages of, of uh, Lego manuals. We have... <laughs> an unreasonable amount of really complicated Lego sets. <laughs> and right now I'm working on a 4,000 piece uh, Lamborghini and at least 20 times a minute. I say, why weren't these 100 pieces a single piece? <laughs> and, uh, but, but it's interesting. So I don't know if you've guys ever read the, the manuals in these large Lego pieces, they give history behind the things you're putting together. And, uh, the last one I put together was a Porsche 911 and it talked about the history of the car. And I just found it really, really interesting. Got it. Cool. Uh, what is God saying to you? Hmm. Oof. Um, you know, I, I last year um, I'd never done this before, but I had a word. It was, uh, it was hope. And, um, as we came into this year, I journaled, I'd never done that before either. I've journaled before, but never like at the end of the year, kind of journaling your year. And, and I did, and I actually found this theme of hope, um, throughout the whole year. Uh, I, I just lost my mom going into that year mm. and, um, and found like, and, and transitioned from sauce. There was just a ton of transition and then just found that God showed up. And so this year I was looking for a word and, um, I still haven't, I still haven't found one. Uh, I've been, I've been really praying about it. And, um, and what I've really sensed is, is something similar. And I don't know if this is exactly it, but I, maybe I'll figure it out before December. Um, but something about rooted, um, it, it's, it's something about being grounded. And, and, um, I have found like a deeper pattern of, of prayer, uh, taking place and peace, um, you know, I, I've been following um, Dr. Thema on uh, Twitter. I don't know if anybody follows Dr. Thema, um, but she has some some pretty good uh, tweets out there. And one was, healing requires stretching beyond familiar patterns. Lean into the discomfort of growth instead of retreating into old mindsets. You deserve a fresh start. Your wounds don't disqualify you. Give yourself a sunrise and breathe. Hmm. And, um, and I just sense that there's something in the middle of that, that type of approach that's just like freedom that allows you to move forward. 
Well, I can send you my prep document to prove that I am not just stealing Jason's answer. Um, but, uh, but actually, uh, I had written down hope always wins. Um, I, I think that there are so many things in the world, you know, happening right now. Uh, Ukraine, obviously, is, as we've spoken about, a lot of the topics we've spoken about tonight, um, you know, is there another variant around the corner? Like, you know, it, it feels like we keep getting, you know, punched down. But I, I'm seeing some people like they're putting their hope in the loosening of a mask mandate in a public school setting. And it's like, man, if that's the only thing you have left to hope in, um, that's a really kind of sad, you know, statement. But um, but but to me, it's all three of those words. It's that hope always wins. Um, and and you spoke about the importance of faith in the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's such an advantage that those of us who have faith, you know, have o- over people who don't is that we have hope um, and hope does not disappoint us and hope always wins and hope, um, you know, comes through in the end. Um, and uh, I've been encouraged by that in the face of so many reasons why, you know, people are not being hopeful right now. So, uh, so that's my word. Darrell, how about you? You know, for me, it's actually been something from my oldest daughter, Winter. Um, she's, she's been on this kick this past week. We went to her first hockey game and she got to go on the ice. She got to throw a puck on the ice. She was having a blast. Her and her gang of friends were chanting fight, fight, fight for entirely too long. (laughs) It got us some looks, uh, but she's been on this kick where she asked me a, a million questions about what is my favorite? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite this? And, and, and in that, I've just been just been reminded of this idea of identifying what's my priority, identifying what means a lot to me. And and it's been something that's been important for me to ask as we're preparing for our busy season, uh, just to remember what's important, what's the main thing and focusing on that. Mm. And lastly, what are you creating? We are we are creating a concept um, around clouds um, as a metaphor. So, you know, I grew up in an organization that was a metaphor. I don't know if I'm just doomed to use metaphors, <laughs> but like uh, here we go with the rain collective and I'm trying to create something um, around clouds that, that basically are collaborative communities of change. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how we can be a catalyst for communities of change. And a cloud is a forerunner to rain, right? So you you need that, and it's it's where everything collects. I get it. I, I see the metaphor. We're yeah. picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, far far less philosophical than that. <clears throat> um, I discovered that you can actually make your own wordle. Um, so, so you can create, you can create your own, you know, wordle or series of wordles around a theme. So for the past couple of weeks on the Wonderland Alumni Association Facebook group, I've been sending out these wundles. So it is a, a a camp themed, a camp Wonderland themed wordle every day and people are geeking out on it. They're loving it. They're posting their score. They're commenting. Um, and so today I actually had a brainstorm mm-hmm. and brought it to fruition uh, and created my first coast gardle. So now we have wundles <laughs> and gardles going on. It is very important yeah. that you get the graphic for the gardle because <laughs> it sounds like something else. Um, 
but it absolutely uh, does. Post, posted the first of those today, um, and uh, and so I'm having fun with five letter words around certain themes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So in in my wood shop, I'm not gardling anything, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm working on a music box for a friend. Um, her father isn't doing very well and growing up, he always enjoyed music boxes. Um, and I was able to, to acquire some, some old, really old cigar boxes from the country that they hail from. And we're going to transform that box into kind of like a memory box for him and to where cool. the, the box will also have a music box in it, but it'll also include some of his favorite things and just feeling really good about, being asked to participate in that way in their relationship. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's an cool. important time. If you can bring comfort and peace. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Jason, we, we have, have run long. I feel like we could have gone another two hours on the incredibly important, uh, work that you're doing. Um, so, so thank you for, for sparing some time, uh, you know, for us tonight and, and to spread the word about the good work that you're doing. Um, we'll continue to, uh, to lift you in prayer and to take advantage of some of these, uh, educational resources that you've suggested tonight. Um, and, uh, and, and my, challenge to to everyone who hears this is find a way to to get involved trafficking is a global problem it is in the nations and it's among your neighbors um and so find your way that you can get involved in this and i think um the church has a a, a higher obligation even than governments and and other organizations um to be involved in this redemptive work so thank you so much for for everything that you are doing um and, uh, and, and we really appreciate the time, um, and, and kiss those beautiful daughters years. <laughs> Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really been a good conversation and I appreciate it. Thanks so much. 